welcome to Meet the PAs podcast. Hear the experiences of seasoned PAs, up and coming development of policy from industry leaders, and the exploration of those new to the career. Interviews done with a Canadian twist at Maple Syrup. Welcome uh, to today's episode. We are interviewing Andrea Pansoy. She's been a PA for the last seven years and working in Ontario, Canada. Welcome. I'm glad to be here today. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Okay, Andrea, tell us about how you got even heard about the PA profession and then got started in the application process because you started in the PA profession almost when PAs were accepted in Ontario. So I actually found out about the program by chance. So I had always been interested in pursuing a career in medicine, which I think is very common amongst people who end up in the PA profession. So I had looked into medical school and was even kind of thinking like, well, maybe that might still be an option for me. I was doing a master's in pharmacology at the time at the University of Toronto. And one of my lab mates had actually mentioned to me that one of her friends was actually currently in the PA program at McMaster Mm. and had encouraged me to look into it. And then so the more I looked into it, so I think I found out about the program in maybe February and I think the deadline to apply was like late later that spring. So it was actually kind of a short time like I found out and like, hey, well, are you going to apply for this or not? And I looked into it and it looked very interesting. I had seen that they uh, PAs were quite utilized in the States, had been well established, that they wanted to try and you know, have them establish them in Ontario. So also the idea of one, I could, there was another avenue for me to pursue that allows me to be involved in medicine, but then also be involved in this career path that's relatively new in Ontario. So kind of be at the forefront of that and just a new challenge. It was exciting. So I'm like, okay, this sounds like a good opportunity for me. And then I applied and then subsequently got into the program. So you actually like the idea of being a bit of a trailblazer in the profession. Yes, the challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think like being being part of the second class at McMaster. I mean, you we were very early in the field. Like we, you know, there really wasn't anyone else before to kind of pave the way or kind of tell us how things should be or give us any sort of guidance. Like I think once I actually finished practicing, I was probably. I have no stats to back this up, but I'm pretty confident that I was like the first um, Canadian, like Canadian trained PA in Brampton, maybe mm. even in Peel region. I mean, it's yeah. easy to say when you're the second class, but it's like <laughs> no one really knew. So I, it, a lot of it was me kind of setting, okay, this is what a PA can do. This is what a PA can, like even with prescriptions. I remember when I first started, I would, we would oftentimes get faxes from the pharmacy saying, who is this physician assistant? Are they allowed to prescribe? You know, what kind of Mm -hmm. is the process around that? So there was certainly a lot of educating uh, that had to be done, which, so, I mean, if if you had, you know, didn't have the benefit of having peas to begin with. So, yeah, a lot of it was kind of just, you know, educating, you know, one, patients as to what a PA can do. Our clinic has always been a teaching site for medical students and, also for nurse practitioner students. So it was kind of like they were I, they were used to the idea of a medical learner, but then it was also a good opportunity to like, hey, there's this new, there's this new 
profession and you know we're you know, in the process of like teaching these new these students so you know it took a while <laughs> how did you how did you connect with the family health team that you're with so I was actually their first ever PA student or PA mm-hmm. clerk. Yeah. Um, so the two physicians that I work with, they were already affiliated with the Department of Family Medicine. And from my understanding, the, the PA program Matt reached out to them seeing if they were willing to take on a PA student as a clerk. And then, you know, so there, I was their first experience in terms of with the PA with you know, the PA student, a PA student, a PA So profession. Mac reached out to them, mm-hmm. and then that got set up. You didn't, you no, didn't No, 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 no. And they're okay. like, okay, that's where we're sent where you're starting in September, and then it worked out. Yeah. And so you rotated through, and in September, so you still had a decent amount of time mm-hmm. in no, between. So this was your, that would your, your first like my first clerk, clerk, clerk ever, yeah. Yeah. like, rotation, like, straight out of, like, <laughs> Knowing progress. nothing. Like, <laughs> well, and because I... Uh, my, my, my path has been a little bit, you know, convoluted. Like, I had no clinical experience prior to even applying for the program. Like, again, I mentioned I was a master's, like, my background in pharmacology. So, like, the idea of, like, well, you know, you, I've been exper- I've had the experience of being a patient, but, like, what does it even mean to, like, be involved actually in care? Like, I had no idea. So, like, yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to totally green. <laughs> Okay, well, they ob- you obviously made a good impression despite being that green because you have stayed with them for seven years. So we, they were impressed enough with you that you guys had a conversation about how mm-hmm. to continue, yeah. how, for you to come back after graduation. Yes. So they were interested in, I think they did apply for the the Career Start grant, but I know every year they it gets a lot more competitive in terms of getting the funding. But they liked the idea of having a physician assistant as part of their team. They saw that how, you know, by have because they, they also had another student um, after me. And they're saying, like, you know, there is ways for us to integrate a PA into our existing clinic structure, and it would be a good fit. So they felt that even if they weren't able to get funding, they'd like to help, help explore the, the possibility of just privately paying for a PA and seeing how it goes. Okay. Okay, so... So the, 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 you had two years of the Career Start grant, right? Is that Was that how that was back in the day? Yes. Yeah. At the time, it was two years, and it was full, uh, like, they gave you, a, like, the, the, full the full salary, amount. The full amount. Yeah. yeah, and at that time, like, they had stipulated, like, this is the amount that we were going to give mm-hmm. at that time, and what, if you, if you were going to be hiring a PA in family medicine. So at the time when the Career Start grants were um, being put out for... The graduates at the time, I think in family medicine, they were offering seventy five thousand, yeah. um, and that was would be for the two years. Uh, there would be a one, I, I believe, a one time bonus of ten thousand dollars if you were to work in a rural area. And they had their own metric as to how what they determine if, as a rural area. Mm-hmm. I think there at the time there was also some funds allocated to help if they're from st- like startup costs if you needed to like buy m- whether it be like a computer or something. I think there was some and some. Like there was some money for that, or that was supposed to be built into the seventy-five thousand that was going to be provided per year to the employer. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then when that two years ended, in where did you have to have like stats in order to transition that into private funding to convince your employer to keep you on, or were they already just they came out of the gate saying we want to keep? You? I felt like going into it because again we they had no funding and uh, they and they were like you know we felt very comfortable to. Con- to just, you know, take that chance on me without any funding. I think going and they felt that, you know, this is something that we are wanting to 
a, it's a long-term mm-hmm. thing. Like we want to, you know, really establish peace in our right. practice. So, you know, while they're we don't they're not receive they didn't receive any funding through the grant that they felt that you know they could be they, it'd be worth the cost for them because I mean in terms of the quality of life like they right. are um, knowing that they have someone else on the team who works very closely with them that it's able to open up their schedule and see patients so certainly servicing our current roster and making sure that you know there are appointments available also being able to roster additional patients to help with the, you know, increase their roster size and also help with the sustainability of having a PA. So I mm-hmm. think with kind of those things combined, they felt that, you know, that the cost of having a PA on the team is worth it for them. Do, do you or the clinic manager actually track the stats? Yes. So there are some, in, there are ways that are, so my one, my one physician that I work with, he's very big on data and data collection. So um, he's actually built along with an IT team in terms of um, tools to actually track certain metrics such as like how many diabetic patients uh, do you have in the practice, certain metrics about uh, certain um, billings and whatnot. But they've also actually... Um, made a built a way to actually track how many patients you each clinician has seen mm-hmm. and things like when is the, the the wait times for appointments so i think just by seeing that how by having a pa on the team how much more additional visits that adds or so that they we can track those things and decrease wait times yeah, and decrease wait yeah times. for okay. sure so could what tell us a little bit more about your actual like day to day role here? Okay, so I'm here full time. So Monday through Friday, I have my own schedule in which patients are booked into. So when a patient is booked for an appointment, they know that they're seeing myself, the physician assistant. I the, I only see my two docs patients uh, because that's what's written into my medical directive. So. Yeah, and I see all like pretty much the whole gamut from like newborn babies to um, elderly patients. I get to assist with prenatal care, uh, well baby visits, and acute and chronic presentations. So there's a lot of variety. Um, I don't do as much procedures aside from, say, like reg routine pap smears or immunizations, just because, again, it's time-consuming in terms of, especially primary Mm -hmm. care, to be able to do my procedures. Um, And there's other members of the team who are already doing it that I've already had, are like, for example, some of the physicians in our team, they have a women's clinic where they do IUD insertions, mm-hmm. endometrial biopsies. So that kind of skill is already being taken care of by other clinicians. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just like, I'd like to just be where the need is. So if that is just being available to see, you know, acute presentations, walk-ins. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So they just kind of book whatever they, whatever kind of appointments are like, they just book whatever with me. And you're... Supervising physicians are typically on-site or are a mix? Are a they mix. T- so, so a good portion of the day, at least one of my supervising physicians is here. Uh, they're both available remotely via phone. Mm-hmm. So if I had a patient that I was concerned about, I'm able to contact them. I mean, we've even there have been a couple of times where I got my supervising physicians on like WhatsApp video to kind of like come in or just at least briefly like chat with the patient. So we did, we definitely make use of the electronic communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that's um that's something that 
is becoming more common in yeah. Ontario because that's ideally how that should function, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at the U.S., which is our mainstay of PAs, and yeah. they, you know, if, if they wouldn't be able to be used to the their full scope if physicians were, you know, on top yeah. of the PA seeing each patient. Yeah. So it's, I think it's it's better to utilize PAs for sure. I feel very fortunate though to be working in a in a family health team that is very collaborative. So while I have two main supervising physicians, all of the physicians who work, uh, especially on the site mm-hmm. and in our family health team, have signed my medical directive as alternate supervising physicians. Mm-hmm. So that if for whatever reason my one of my physicians was not available to be contacted mm-hmm. immediately, like there are always alternate people I could contact for assistance. So I always oh, feel um, well supported. Um, awesome. Mm-hmm. So if I need something, like there's always someone available, and even even with like we have um, three nurse practitioners that work as part of our team, um, and even the amount of collaboration that we do amongst each other is like a lot, and they're super supportive of the PA role. So it's, like even just informally, like I have this patient, you know, do you mind coming to take a look at this rash, or what do you think of this presentation, you know, what do you think about this plan? Like we bounce things back back and forth so often. So it's it's nice to be in a team where like you know. We all just want to work together mm-hmm. and help each other out for the best of the patient. Exactly. Right. exactly. Exactly. So since you mentioned medical directives, how do you have yours formatted? So we've used a template. I think one of them is available on the Kappa website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've taken the stance that we've had a very, it's not, it's very broad in the yeah. sense that I've seen other med- family health teams where their medical directive is very specific. It outlines, you know, which patient presentations that a PA can see and which age ranges and kind of what are the steps that they have to take in order to, it gets very detailed. So we don't have, our medical directives not like that. It's very open. It allows a little bit more for interpretation. Obviously, it's everything that that is stipulated there and that, you know, the standards of care should be following best practice guidelines or the, any existing clinical guidelines um, that at the forefront is always that if I'm not, if I'm unsure or if I feel this exceeds my scope, I must be consulting with the supervising physician or if I feel this, I'm not able to manage this present presentation either to pass it onward to a, another clinician who is available or direct them to a more... Um, you know, like to the, if they need to go to the emergency room, like where they'll get the care that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, is re- my medical directive is reviewed on a periodic basis to make sure that it's reflective of, you know, what my supervising physicians are are doing. So not I'm not I don't do anything that my supervising physician can't do. Right. Yep. Um, and making sure that you know we're covering like the skills that I'm what, what kind of patients I'm seeing as is reflected in that in that in the medical directive. Right. Um, so I know in my role, what I've seen and what I'm comfortable with has changed a lot over yes. the last seven years. Um, how has your role and what you have changed over your practice? Um, I think in terms of the types of patient presentations, I think are not necessarily different or not, I'm not seeing like, say, for example, I wasn't seeing, um, prenatals before and now I'm seeing them now. Um, I think... So that, that in itself hasn't changed, but I think the level of trust that my supervising physicians have placed in me, like they feel very confident that, um, you know, they let me go, well, what do you want to do with this patient? What is your proposed uh, treatment or management plan? Mm-hmm. And they feel very comfortable with me proposing and following up with it, with checking in on them. So certainly I think the amount of responsibility 
um, and traffic is me I think has, has increased over the years uh, which is quite exciting because I'm very fortunate that my supervisor positions allow me to do a lot um, within the within the scope of a PA so I know some people some PAs aren't are, you know they're very boxed in like you can only see these types of patients or um, patient presentations so I, I'm not limited in that regard in terms of what I could theoretically see or what I could have input in um, which is nice but certainly the the amount of uh, responsibility that my physicians allow me to have within you know within the role of PA and in, within delegation is great but also like you know it, it makes me is challenging but also kind of scary at times because you know you want to make sure that you're doing the mm-hmm. right thing like they, they yeah. trust you so much and I almost think that one thing I have noticed is that because they trust me so much I tend to be more I, I self-reflect a lot and I question like you know am I doing the right thing is this the right course of action for this patient it made me be a more um I guess cautious provider in the sense that you know you want to make sure I, I I think a lot of make sure I'm doing the right thing definitely know that feeling mm-hmm. I think we've all been there you're all you you make decisions and well that's why it's an art right mm-hmm. that's why you practice medical yeah. medicine and it's not this very stringent right or wrong yes or no thing yeah because yeah. I think especially when you start starting out that you it's like well if I'm not sure I can always consult which is I tell you what I do now but I think as the trajectory as in your career as pay you often should over time be consulting a lot less and yeah. managing a lot yeah. more um, independently, again, within the scope of your medical directive. So the challenge is, I really enjoy it, but it's like, you know, you always have to be, it's always on the back of my mind that, like, well, you know, are you sure you're, this is correct? And, like, you know, and that's why, too, I'm like, I have a low threshold in terms of, like, the things that, you know, the things that you really, that what I want to consult about, like, that, I guess it's like there's the chronic conditions where, you know, the red flags and signs and that you know that you don't want to miss. Mm-hmm. But my, if, if a patient is presenting with that as such, like my threshold to like, you know, reach out to someone or consult my food supervisor position is low. It's really low. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Absolutely. my, my like the threshold to send someone to emerge is high. But if you're even remotely approaching that threshold, then like my inclination to send go. you is like, you're probably going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which makes sense. Yeah. And you also happen to teach. At yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> So I've been teaching at McMaster now for the past uh, about three years now. Initially, I was involved in the professional competencies course. Um, I've been doing tutorial uh, for Medical Foundations too for the past. Uh, this is my second time doing it, and I really enjoy it. I love teaching. I I really feel, I I enjoy being involved in the McMaster program, which trained me. Um, the landscape of like PA education has changed so much since I left the program. You know, we now, students now have the benefit of having prior graduates from the program that they can talk to or other resources that they can consult about, you know, being a PA and practicing in in Ontario, practicing in Canada, that things that we didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, you actually have PAs who are on faculty um, in the program, which did not exist. so they have, I think PA students nowadays have so much more resources available to them. So, and I'm, and I think I'm glad to see that they're taking advantage of it. Like we're, we, at the time now where P- students have, who are prospective students say that I've met a PA, like, you know, I, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, at, or we, there's a PA at a clinic I work at and patient, pay, pay, sorry, patient, pay, pay, uh, students saying that I want to be a PA, not that well, as opposed to 
well, I couldn't get into medical school, school, and this is my backup. Like this is uh-huh. like a this legitimate is... career choice for them, which is, which is quite inspiring. You know, like yeah, like there's there's a new core of students who are like this is what I want to do. This is my this is my dream. And that's amazing. I think. But now that PA students nowadays have so much more resources available to them, I think I've, I found with myself, especially because we also have students here for clerkship, I find myself wanting to push them and challenge them more because I feel that they're capable of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so much more available to them that why not push them to be the best that they can be? Why not push them to be... if be as good, if not better, than the PAs who came before them, who started off with not less than half of what they had. Right? Yeah. So, so, and I think also I enjoy being teaching because that's also one way of being an advocate for the profession. We always, you know, so it doesn't necessarily having to be necessarily having a, a large voice on social media or being involved necessarily in lobbying the government which i think is is super important but that may not be everyone's jam yeah. so by there are a lot of other ways to be an advocate and i think one by helping to teach you know future pas and it is is a way to, to be an advocate for them Absolutely. for the profession so yeah, yeah because the better they're trained the better they're going to mm-hmm. advocate for pas going forward so mm-hmm. we should be training them to the best of our abilities exactly. we all teach yeah, we all three of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so. great. And you, uh, and just off of that, you can just do the clerkship part of it too, mm-hmm. and have somebody yeah, come exactly. follow you and and learn from you on site, which is another. And yeah. Matt's always looking for more people. I'm sure the University sure. of Toronto is as well. Do you get a lot of PA clerks? We here? do. We have, we have one right now. Actually. So, <laughs> so since I graduated, we've pretty much had a student consistently. So I've had the the been fortunate to be able to be involved in helping to train them while they're here on clerkship um and it's always nice to see how like when because again when they put in the first year it's all just theory like it's just like when they see actually seeing it in practice and then them being able to see well you know this is how what a p actually gets to do when they're out there in the real world which is so and they you know it's nice because they're like oh yes a pa can actually get to do a lot so yeah which is really encouraging yeah I, I've only had one PA clerk or PA student, and it was like a longitudinal placement, but it was awesome. I was really excited. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to come and see me. I'm too far. But I, I, I was a little nervous, but I actually thought it was a really great experience. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so all of you out there, um, you know, reach out to the closest yeah. university, Mac, U of T, uh, if you're in Ontario, and they're always looking for more, more clerkship sites. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. And I'm sure if you're somewhere else in the world, the UK, and I know in the US as well, they're always looking for more more people to take students. Um, okay, so in you continue your advocacy in other ways. I know you also lead, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but um, like a, it's like the Brampton area yeah. PA group mm-hmm. meetings. Like you meet quarterly and discuss. Uh, uh, so we discuss kind of like what what concerns that the, our local PAs are experiencing. Um, we talk about kind of some of the updates in terms of what CAP has uh, shared with us in terms of uh, furthering 
whether it be regulation or funding mm-hmm. models in mm-hmm. Ontario. So it's just, we just kind of have to act as kind of a liaison to like, well, what issues do you, would you like us to bring forward? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also opportunity to socialize with other PAs in the area, uh, talk about upcoming conferences that might be coming up. Um, so it's more just kind of also networking. Yeah. yeah. Socializing with other PAs is yeah. so nice. <laughs> it's, it's really helpful, right? Because you can be kind of isolating, feeling like you're the only person yeah. in this profession in your area. And it's it's really refreshing and reassuring yeah. to meet other people, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, so what, what kind of things have you been hearing from that group? in terms of like the grassroots, what's happening on their work lives, what are they needing from, in terms of support from politicians and um, uh, Kappa and, and all these things, what are you getting from them? So a lot of times a big question that they wonder, because uh, they uh, they wonder about is regulation, because my our the, the Brampton Mississauga group has also been open to students, because not all um, local networking groups welcome students to, mm, for their okay. meetings. Yeah. Uh, myself and my co-lead, her name is Manfred, uh, we've taken the sense that we, you know, we are open to that just because, again, it's like their opportunity to also so meet other PAs who are currently practicing. So that's always a question, which is, which, and I guess in, in a lot of people's mind, how, how is that not the hot button issue? Or the <laughs> it's been the question for years. We've had. Um, then after regulation, funding, or sustainability of having a PA in, in a, a specific area or practice is always, you know, the, the other one in terms of, you know, what, yeah. what changes or what things can be put into place to make sure that we continue to have jobs. Um, right, because the funding ends. And it's then, a point, yeah. yeah. Yes. And how is the business model going to be, or the business case going to be made to say that, yes, it's sustainable uh, to keep having the PAs part of the team and also financially, um, you know, beneficial to the physician in terms mm-hmm. of, like, they're not going to, going to be putting themselves in debt to be having a PA as a part of their team, right? Right, right, right. And because there's no like standardized funding model, mm-hmm. it's nice to get together with other people and have mm-hmm. that creative discussion of what worked of here, course. what worked there, right. sort of yeah. get some ideas about how to present it. Right. I think also one is just frustration in that they uh, that I, in terms of you know in Ontario, like why in Ontario do we not have it together, so to speak, in terms of like say you look at other provinces like Manitoba, Manitoba. or yeah. Alberta, where. Like, they seem to have these things ironed out a little bit, at least the regulation. Part, regulated, the regulation. Right, yeah. And the uh, funding. Uh, and the funding. Manitoba's got the funding. So, mm-hmm. it's, you know, what, I guess, what makes Ontario different or what makes the challenge that we face here that are, it's different from the challenges in other provinces. Mm-hmm. And it seems sort of counterintuitive because yeah. we have the most PAs mm-hmm. in Ontario. Yeah, what is all it, like, like 80% of yeah. Canadian we, PAs are in Ontario? Are, we are behind in a couple of things as far as having, yeah. and I mean, there may never be a standardized funding model that may just no, never happen, sure. but yeah. there has to be at least job security. <laughs> well, yeah, some job security and at least like, you know, if you're in a failing living health team, this is the way they're typically funded. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't fund it a different way, but this is the way it's typically right. funded. And in hospitals, this is yeah. how it's typically yeah. funded. And in private practice, this is how it's typically funded. Like some sort of at least framework, I think it gets really frustrating when everybody is using different things mm-hmm. and there's no I don't know I feel like there's a lack of just like basic framework for that right portion of it right no doubt I I, I I always will get frustrated when I look at other countries that 
started at the mm-hmm. same time. Like the UK also started around 2010, and then they seem to be making some progress in terms yeah. of their government has committed to um, regulation and funding, um, as well as like a solid number of students to put out every year. So in that same time frame, that whole country has been able to come together and make that happen, and they also function off of socialized medicine. Now, it's hard if we're always comparing to the U.S., because their system is so different. But there are systems that are similar that are also making progress, so it does get frustrating. Um, And what is your response then? How do you even help comfort that? You don't have anything to respond. You just say, I'll bring it forward to Kappa. But I guess also one thing I tried to emphasize is that there's a lot of unknowns still, right? And I think you... A lot like you went into this kind of knowing that I think you can't. It, yeah. you, you, we knew this, right? Mm-hmm. We knew what we were getting ourselves into, and there's so much rewards of being part of this profession. Certainly, there's challenges. So I think just being it's, it's it, we're still relatively new. So certainly we need to be patient mm-hmm. in terms of you know in our expectations of the timeline for things to happen. Um, I also encourage them like you know if to get involved in. Kappa, um, tried and just to find, you know if this is something that's important to you, like and you're concerned about it, also make you know contact your your like kind of along the initiative that that, that uh, the Ontario chapter is always trying to do, like mm-hmm. reaching out to their MPP, mm-hmm. you know, like just trying to make their get their voices heard. So because as an individual, there's not much one. It's a, it's one a lot that one person can really do is kind of like working together with the established like the pre-existing framework that we already have through Kappa and that's so that's one avenue. And also it's being creative. So if you're worried about sustainability of funding for your position, um, you know, talking to your employer and like what are the uh, what are the other unmet needs or, or ways that you could be, you know, things that you could be doing to kind of be helping. Is it that spending more time in terms of, you know, doing more administrative stuff that isn't really the sexy part of medicine but helps to kind of get things like helps to get things the flow of the practice going better or mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. it's, I think it's also about being creative yeah and yeah. finding those other ways to help generate you know income for your position absolutely uh, completely yeah right I mean well that's exactly what you've done right you've looked at you guys track the numbers you look at roster size and how that's been able mm-hmm. to grow and that has been able to you know, fund it and fund yeah. your position and keep you open and that I think that's a pretty common way that a lot of yeah. people are are doing that in yeah. family practice yeah yeah and I mean the other thing is there's some responsibility being sort of a new profession we also get to shape it a bit right yeah. like right we get to sort of to have a, some say in the regulation and hopefully yeah. say in how we're funded and so yeah I mean we're like eight years out from the first math class but it's still really new yeah. mm-hmm. and those students that are there now have a lot of resources we didn't have going through the first and second years of the Mac program, but they also, yeah. they're still really new. The profession's still really new and they still have that, not responsibility, but luxury of being able to help shape this profession as it goes forward. I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, both, Andrea, you already mentioned this, but neither of you in the first and second class really had, you didn't have any instructors who were PAs. You we had a, couple. had a couple. Did you? They were, were they US, from US? They were okay. US trained yeah. PAs. So, but no Canadian trained mm-hmm. PAs as examples no, to, to study under while you were in the didactic year or while you were out um, you know, in your clerkship year. 
did, were you concerned about the sustainability of this profession? Were your families concerned? Did you go be like, hey, mom and dad, yeah, I'm doing this. And yeah. they oh, were like, for sure. where's the, yeah, for sure. where's for the sure. functionality <laughs> for your long-term investment exactly. here? Um, I distinctly remember this when I talked to my parents about applying to the program they were concerned, right? Because, like, they're, what is a physician assistant? How are, are you sure you're going to have a job? Are you sure you want to do this? Like, you know, maybe why don't you just, uh, you know, wait it out and, and try for med school again or, like, keep trying. Like, and, and, and because that's more, you know, prestigious. It's not that, it's not the prestige per se, but, like, at least that's an established profession. It's a known. Or transition to something else where, like, whether it be like pharmacy or nursing, where like at least like you will have a job that mm-hmm. like you're not trying, they're, they're not trying to figure it out still, right? They were concerned for me, and but yet you know I'm like, you know what? I think this could be potentially a good opportunity for me. I think this is a, this is sounds like very much like what I like. I still get to be involved in medicine, so I think this is a good opportunity. And then they supported me, mm-hmm. but I remember when I was done and I graduated, they were so proud, like. They like they she, like my mom is because my mom was one, also the, one of the ones who was like a bit hesitant, but she was so proud of me and, and so happy that like I found something I really enjoyed and they've been they were they've been super supportive of me being a PA so so certainly there's it, it, it was resistance and I think more so because they're worried like are you gonna have a job yeah right like, right yeah. you're gonna rack up all this student debt or you mm-hmm. have some way of paying it back <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> It is substantial, but it's still significantly cheaper than Oh, than for sure. Yeah. Or going to peace school in the States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What, do we have any other questions here? I don't know. I've completely lost my train of thought. I, I have too. Okay. What, so so off of that conversation, we've talked about how it's we, you've seen it change. Do you see the profession changing significantly in the next two to three years? Probably. We have a lot. Happening, yeah. but how how do you see that changing and affecting your you know day to day life practicing here? That's a good that's a that's a good question. In terms of what I think the biggest changes will be in the next two years, I mean, with an Ontario, there's with the, the upcoming election mm-hmm. and and the, the potential change or not in the actual political landscape, whether or not who's currently going to stay in the role of prime minister, I mean, sorry, um, premier, Premier. Mm -hmm. and who he or she continues to have as part of their team and the health minister, whether or not they're wanting to make regulation a priority or at least like establishing some registry. So that could potentially have an impact. But again, it's just whether or not they're willing to, whoever ends up in power is willing to like pursue that, I guess whether us as the PAs, right, PAs currently practice, you know, make enough noise for, mm-hmm. with our with our local MPPs to push this forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, and in terms of the current leadership that we have in Ontario to, you know, really be pushing that forward and also advocating for us as, the, as our chapter mm-hmm. president. Um, I, I mean, I see that there's still a lot of challenges in that. So am I going to be necessarily hoping that's going to be a stat, like happen in the next two years? I'm hopeful, but maybe am I going to be disappointed if it doesn't? No, because, I mean, again, these are big things that we're trying to make happen for us here in Ontario. And, and will it really affect your day-to-day work? No, because it no, doesn't. It a lot of these things don't. 
Yeah. No, because um, you don't, whether if regulation goes through mm. your day to day, won't change. Scope no. is going to be the same. I hope to see continue to see more PAs uh, in the in the field, more physicians, and like whether it be uh, family practices, hospitals, you know, to have PAs as part of their team. It'd be I'm hopeful to say that that's going to just continue to grow mm-hmm. um, in the in the, fu- in the near future. And I think that's kind of the way it's going, anyways. So that's good. And that's yeah. promising for sure. Yeah, I think good. I think we've been louder in the last. Oh, for sure year or two than we have previously definitely definitely yeah. i think the ontario chapter and kappa and everything is sort of there's been a shift and maybe it's just volume maybe they're just yeah. we're just fine i don't think we're at critical mass yet by any means especially mm-hmm. compared to like the nurses union or anything of like course. that but like there are a lot more people and we're becoming and i don't know if it's because of social media or whatever but i think mm-hmm. we're becoming more vocal yeah i mean i'm not I've not seen anything recently, but I, or nor am I aware if there's anything out. We have Kappa or, or the Ontario chapter specifically has anything out there to suggest, like it, or that whether or not the lack of regulation or a permanent funding model, how has for the PAs who are currently practicing, how how much is that really impacting your day to day practice? Again, I for I don't see it, um, but I'm. Not really. Like, do you find that it's impacting? Not for me because I have a job, but I think the lack of a proper, yeah, Yeah, I think the lack of a proper and Mm -hmm. like structured funding model has prevented, has caused the loss of jobs for for some PAs for sure, and it's it limits the job opportunities. I think for PAs in Ontario, I think that's the big thing. There's not enough. There's, you know, I feel like PAs right now, not all of us, but some of us are taking um, jobs that are not what we would love to be yeah. doing um, because the roles aren't there and I think that's not so much maybe tied to regulation but not so much from regulation but is from lack of funding, funding and um, structure around funding and mm-hmm. billing and things like that and having a framework for that within the OHIP system. And will will the government put forward a, fund, a sustainable funding model yeah. if regulation is not in place? Will yeah. It? yeah, like the regulation does part doesn't actually bother me that terribly much except no. for the fact that if if we need regulation to have a proper funding model yeah. that's where it's yeah. concerning and that right? seems to yeah. be like is it the, 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 like what, it? a chicken like, or an egg situation yeah. I'm like yeah. well we need to be regulated to have permanent funding but I'm like do we? do we I don't know but if that's if that's how we have to do it so that there's more yeah. opportunities I think um, I think we yeah I and see. within the political climate I think we lose a little bit of legitimacy when we're not regulated and I think that's the issue because you go forward and they sit in these meetings mm-hmm. and they say, well, why would we fund something that is not regulated yes. when every other profession is regulated here all the way to naturopathic physicians, all the way through naturopathic physicians and these other models that aren't even traditionally something we think of as medicine and they're they're regulated. Yeah. Um, so I can see why, like, if I put myself in a politician's shoes, why they would wonder why they should put a, a sustainable mm-hmm. funding model in place without the regulation. But yeah, I agree with you guys. So we won't see much change day in, in a day-to-day practice. The hope is that if we have regulation, that funding will come and therefore jobs and job sustainability will be yeah. there. Yeah. And I, I mean, personally, I've really experienced hardship with that, <laughs> but not everybody has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's the main thing, at least. Yeah, I don't really care so much about being regulated. I care so much yeah. as like having more job opportunities, yeah. right? Um, and having a, a sustainable funding model for the students coming out because you're not going to get people to apply to the program if they're not going to get a job. 
Well, yeah. Let's I mean, see. it's not an undergraduate arts degree where you don't really care if you're going to have a job yeah. coming out. Like, the point of, this the, point is of the PA program is to come out with a job. Yeah, exactly. And that's, at least, again, being in being involved in teaching, that's always um, a concern. Mm-hmm. Says, will we have jobs? Will we have jobs? And, you know, I always tell them, yes, you will have jobs. You will have jobs. Like, we've spent so much time in, in training you that, you know, we will do our best to make sure you ha- that you will have one. So I don't think that's necessarily the immediate word of yes or no, you have a job. But the other, you know, kind of some of the things that you mentioned, Rachel, that will it necessarily be your dream job or the field that you want to be working in or your desired uh, geographical area? That's the you other know, big thing, yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but I think any, especially starting out, any job oper- any job is always a learning opportunity. It's it's kind of helps, can help to launch your career put you you know to help them you learn something yeah you, you got we all have to start somewhere right so the not getting a job isn't necessarily going to be the big issue i'm hopeful will there be one day there'll be that graduating students will have a plethora of jobs to choose from and they will be able to you know find their dream job right off the bat mm. or that there'll be more specialty training programs for if you want to learn more of a specific skill set in a, in a different area of medicine I'm hopeful that one day that will come but yeah I think that's what we're working I think I hope that's what we're working yeah. towards yeah. yeah I think the ge- and the geographic location is 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 a big it's it's a personal big challenge for me because you can't you it's know you if you're sure. married you have children you have other people in your lives that you're accommodating so to pick up and and do big moves is not no, always something that sure. is feasible for everybody. You yeah. know, if you don't have those attachments and dependents, it's a little bit easier yeah. to say, well, yeah, I'll take a job in this location or whatever location I can find. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think yeah. the further you get along in your career, that gets harder and harder. Oh, to for do. sure. Yeah. If you know, if you graduate PA school and you're young and single and have no like real attachments to any physical area, for you sure. can. You can go. You can go, and that'd be a really great opportunity. But the older, I mean, just, you know, more into your career, the older you get, and, mm-hmm. you know, you tend to have more attachments to people in, in certain places, so For it makes sure. it harder. Yeah. And I think, too, the longer that you, you're working in one area, it makes it a lot more challenging to, say, you especially want to switch. Like, I love family medicine and primary care. I, I don't, and because I enjoy it so much, I don't see myself really wanting, like, really switching anytime soon. But even if I, for whatever reason, wanted to or even considered, it would be so difficult for me because, like, you have to almost start at exactly. Square one. Like, yeah. while yes, I've been working for almost seven years as a PA, like what, but in primary care. But like, if I was wanting to try and transition into working in something like emerge, like my skill set is not anywhere where it would be to the, yes, well, practicing seven years and you could just be thrown in like, yeah, so it, it makes it that much more challenging also to just yeah, to transition. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that you can transition. Oh, for sure. you like an MD, but um, yeah, it's hard after you've been in a certain, mm-hmm. and you find what you like too. That's yeah. the other thing, right? Like, I don't know that I would want to do family medicine at this point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're happy with the, yeah. Okay. Well, I see that's a, thorough discussion of the <laughs> politics in, in Ontario. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being coming here. On. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, it's awesome that you um, and Rachel are doing this podcast and putting that out there, taking your time to do so, because I think it's great for, again, an opportunity to meet some other peers who are out practicing. But it's just kind of things like this that are like trying to outreach or being have, and putting things out on social media. I think that's awesome. So well, thank just, you. Again, yeah, another like sign that. of, you know, the good things to come for PAs here in Ontario and Canada. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's really fun doing this podcast. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca, where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit us at mtppodcast.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we would love your feedback.